0: listening to Earshot. Hi, I am Tucker Johnson, composer and host of Earshot. On March 24th, 25th, and 26th, Contemporary Art Music Project held its festival, Campground 22, I wanted to dedicate this episode of Earshot to hearing from some of those at the festival, both on the stage and in the audience. So I sat down with composer Bradley Meixel, saxophonist Doug O'Connor, and my fellow Camp Codcasters Joshua Mallard and Han Hitchen, who were in attendance at the festival. This festival was a real treat for Tampa Bay, Florida. It featured performances by an incredible lineup of musicians at the Morian Center for Clay in St. Petersburg, as well as the St. Andrews Church and Florida Museum of Photographic Arts, both in Tampa. Works were composed by a wonderful collection of composers. It also featured collaborations with the Tampa City Ballet and Central Florida choreographers. Let's hear two quick testimonials from composers John Libertore and Robert McClure, both featured on the festival. Incredible
1: festival, every performer, Consummate virtuoso. The venues outstanding, well attended, and not just by the composers of the festival, gracious hosts and fantastic composers. I mean what's not to love? This is this is what we do. This is this is what we this is what we do it for,
2: you know. Hi, I'm Robert McClure. I teach at Ohio University uh, in Athens, Ohio and I was part of this year's campground uh, festival. And I have to say, one of the best new music festivals I've ever been to. Um, the level of performance was incredible. The artistry of the composers uh, that were represented at this festival was fantastic. Uh, Unico has gathered a group of all-stars uh, for the performers and composers Fantastic time!
0: As you can hear from them, it was quite the event. To hear more about the festival, I met with composer Bradley Mikesell, whose piece "A Dream of a Thousand Shades" was performed on the March 26th concert. He shares his experience at the festival and talks a little bit about his piece. Uh, We are here sitting down with composer Bradley Mikesell, who was in attendance at Campground 22 this year. Uh, Bradley is a composer and a student at the Penn State School of Music. I've known him for quite a while, but I want to give him the opportunity to introduce himself. So hi, Brad, how are you? Hi, Tucker.
3: Uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, As Tucker said, I am currently a uh, master's student at Penn State University in Music Composition. Um, And uh, like also he said, uh, we've known each other for quite a while. Um, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Um, I did my undergraduate degree with Tucker at the University of South Florida, um, where then I went to PSU. Um, So uh, I am about to graduate this semester, uh, just in about a month. So currently in the process of everything involved in that process.
0: (laughs) Yeah, wonderful. Um. Yeah, Brad and I both grew up in Saint Petersburg, as as Brad said. We went to high school together. Um. And uh. And, and middle this school. Festi- yeah. And middle school. This festival is uh. You know, not only I guess close to our hearts, but also close to our homes. Um. And uh. And so we were really excited about about all the stuff that camp was doing in in Saint Petersburg and in Tampa Bay area in general. Um. Brad, could you show us a little bit a little bit about your piece on the festival. Um. I don't have too much time, but I I want to go over the the piece yeah definitely
3: so uh the piece i the festival is called a dream of a thousand shades um i wrote this last year um while i was thinking about authenticity and ideas of self reflection and uh interpretation um and so i designed the piece around these ideas and so what essentially it is is the performers have to evaluate their emotional state according to a particular model of emotions. It's called the plus Model of Emotions, um, which is essentially a three dimensional scale um, of varying um, emotional states with different degrees of intensity. So, prior to a performance, the performers go through these and assign them to themselves about how they're feeling at that particular time of the performance. Um, you know, so a, a large of this piece is for the performers just as much as it is for a listener, Um, and so they assign these um, various states themselves, write them down on note cards, shuffle the note cards at the beginning of the performance um, between both of the performers, um, and then as the piece unfolds, um, they use those note cards as their um, stylistic indicators uh, to inform how they play, Um, So the piece, the notation itself is fairly loose. Um, All that's there really is rhythm uh, and general pitch direction, um, allowing the performers the freedom to use, you know, their stylistic indicators in the way that works for them. Um, So, you know, it's in some ways a, um, an exercise in an interpretation of one's own emotional temperaments, or more accurately, how they perceive those to be. Um, So, you know, uh, in the performance of Arda and Doug, um, both did an amazing job. uh, And, you know, they really both, like, really took it seriously as far as um, paying attention to, you know, how they are reacting to themselves um, with their note cards, um, which I really, really appreciated.
0: Yeah, I, I really love this idea of a piece that uh, that generates itself, sort of, or generates qualities of itself at the very beginning or at the outset of the piece. Um, yeah. I think that that's like a really fun way to compose and add a lot of variety to the life of a piece of music. Um, yeah, and I'm really glad that that uh, Doug and Ardo were able to perform your piece. I'm I'm like I really wish I could have been there to hear it. Um, I'm looking forward to when the recording is available um, if I can catch a listen.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, I'm not sure when they'll have that out, but um, I'm really looking forward to sharing that because, um, you know, like I said, they did a really excellent job. And when, when I was designing the piece, I designed it in a way um, to where it co- it isn't necessarily attended for live performance. It can certainly be that. Right. But um, it's designed in a way to be either two people or two groups of people um, interacting with each other and sharing their um interpretations of these different temperaments together. Mm-hmm. Um so you know two people getting together in a practice room and going through the piece is just as you know a valid performance of it as a live setting.
0: So it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily need an audience. It's almost more for the performers themselves. Yeah uh, exactly their, their interaction. Yeah.
3: Yeah it's focused and, on them. Um the you know the great thing about it is that um you know there couldn't be a performance of the piece that sounds completely different than any other performance, even with the same two performers. And um, at the live performance, at a live performance, um, you know, a side effect of it is that it um, sounds like, you know, uh, it can sound like a good piece of music.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure it's you know, amazing, it, I'm, especially especially with, with Doug and Arda at the, you know, at the helm. Yeah. I mean, a huge
3: part of the piece is the performers, right? Like, Regarding the aspect of it sounding um, like a piece of music that can be performed at the concert that's in a large way like mostly onto the performers right well, I think I think but that's then... true for
0: any piece of music like a, a, any yeah. piece of music ever you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know and it's, it's yeah. wonderful that that uh, that contemporary music project was able to have such an amazing group of performers for this festival um, uh, what was your, what was your impression of the whole festival of, of the other concerts Did you get to attend any of the other concerts in
3: Yeah, no, I went to all the concerts, and um, the performers I mean throughout. I mean, absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, there's all the guest artists. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of ballet, actually. Um, yeah, that's what I was
0: really the, excited about. Yeah.
3: Yeah, on the, um, actually, yeah, on the second and third concert, there were ballet performances um, mm-hmm. during one of the pieces, which were really interesting. Um, and I like, I don't know, I'd never seen that at a, like a music festival of this scale, mm-hmm. really, um, which, you know, was really nice.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the choice of venues, you know, as a, as a Tampa Bay resident, were really spot on. You know, the Maureen Center for Clay is like a really beautiful space mm-hmm. in St. Petersburg and, uh, you know, it's just really great decision making. Um, no, so, absolutely. yeah, um, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Um, uh, I'm excited to hear your music from the festival, and I'm glad you were able to have such a wonderful experience at Campground 22. Um, I hope to have you yeah. maybe on the podcast in the future um, yes. to talk more about uh, your music.
3: You- Thank you for having me on, and um, I'm glad I can talk about this and, you know, really enjoyed the festival overall. Um, so,
0: Yeah, well, yeah. thank you very much, Brad. Uh, have a wonderful day. I'll see you later. Cool. Thank you. Thanks again to Bradley for meeting with me and sharing your piece. Up next, I sat down with the amazing saxophonist Doug O'Connor to hear about his experience improvising and performing composed works in Tampa Bay. He shares his thoughts about computers and technology and music, improvisation, the two compositions he performed on the festival, as well as the climate of new music in Tampa Bay. We are sitting down with saxophonist Doug O'Connor to talk a little bit more about the contemporary art music project Campgrounds 22 festival that happened just this past week. Uh, Doug was here playing saxophone for the festival and performed on three are two of the concerts playing three pieces. Um, Doug, could you quickly introduce yourself and talk a little about what you do?
2: Sure. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Doug O'Connor. I play the saxophone. <laughs> I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm um, pleased to continue uh, performing around the D.C. area as part of the United States Army Band, Pershing Zone. Outside of the bands, continuing to pursue pushing my craft, my community forward, uh, through new music, through all kinds of music, through embracing electronics and just personal growth, and, and so with experiences like performing the music of many of the composers I meet at USF and elsewhere, uh, pleased to continue that path.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we've bumped into each other a number of times, uh, lots of concerts and, and uh, different, um, especially through USF as I was a student there. Um, so. Uh, I think we could start by maybe just talking about some of the pieces that you played. I know that you played two composed pieces, uh, one by Rob McClure and one by Bradley Michel, But could you talk a little bit about the improvisation with Ben Whiting? I know he was doing some live coding with Super Collider. Um, what was the experience like with that kind of performance?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, he brought up the idea about a week before the concert, which I thought was great. And uh, improvisation and, and jazz and experimental stuff is a big mm-hmm. part of just my my personal practice, I guess you might say. And uh, so I thought that was really, really cool, um, especially because I know that when you have a an artist at the computer reacting to what you're doing electronically, in, in a way, my approach was this is going to be a piece for computer with saxophone accompaniment. You know, mm-hmm. I going to be supplying like core uh, processing material, but w- the way things are going to be processed is going to be uh, at, at least as interesting as what I play.
0: Yeah, it flips the whole normal sort of conception of a piece with electronics where it's the electronics are kind of accompanying, the kind of Davidovsky approach of electronics accompanying the instrument to an extent or melding with it. In this case, it's sort of like you're supporting what the computer is doing to an extent.
2: Yeah, and I thought that was really exciting. And I'll say like during the pandemic, lots of musicians uh, or instrumentalists, I should say, like myself, um, got very interested in audio engineering and sound processing. And Mm -hmm. uh, speaking for my own part, I got very interested in using Ableton Live and sound processing. Uh, to do exactly that with computers, and I've begun to see uh, microphones and DAWs and and the whole ecosystem of electronic processing and sounds as a natural extension of my instrument. So this is just kind of like collaborating with someone who's really expert at that, which was really exciting. What I didn't know was going to happen, which I thought was really, really clever, is there was a projection screen of what Ben was doing at Super Collider during Mm -hmm. the performance, which added further context so that people could sort of see under the hood a little bit at what was happening,
0: yeah. I think that's one of the most actually entertaining things about seeing a sort of live coding session is you get to watch, I guess, what they're typing and and see. I've, I've seen uh Ben do that a number of times, I think once or twice on his own, and a couple times with, with the flute player or, or um with other uh live coders. But uh, it's really amazing to watch that kind of work. Um, because uh, the
2: essence of nerdiness, a live <laughs> nerd session, man, yeah, <laughs> you can commentate over the top of it. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah we need the um we need to play by play um oh he's uh, dropping so... the
2: double slash <laughs> <No>! <laughs> yeah
0: exactly we should ask him to do that next time um or if he needs someone else to do that um so then we talk a little about rob McClure's piece uh flora which i think was a duet if i remember correctly if i looking that's over right. the looking yeah. over the um program
2: i mean any chance i get to perform with Catherine weintraub is a, a real treat for me she's she's one of the most stupendous high octane musicians i ever mm-hmm. get to play with and that's that's saying something, you know, because mm-hmm. everyone I work with at the Army Band is super high octane and <laughs> uh, uh, She is something special. So yeah, uh, I always have just an, an explosive fun time putting music together uh, very, very quickly with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob McClure's piece was really, really cool. Uh, it's sort of, you know, a, a lot of saxophone music these days is sort of um, a, about an aesthetic of athleticism, right? Uh, pushing the limits is part of the aesthetic of the piece. Mm-hmm. And that can get a little played out sometimes. And sometimes it's nice to play a piece where uh, special effects and uh, what you might do to push the limits are part of the set of material, mm-hmm. but not a requirement. Right? Not the exclusive set. They're they're just yeah. doing. So you get this. I found Rob's piece to be quite an organic and personal take on. Um, so what it is, the piece is six movements representing different flowers or mm-hmm. plants. And uh, his take on some of those plants is a little bit surprising. So, which I find a lot of joy and um, just sort of curiosity. in. So for example, there's a movement about these uh, beautiful bold blue petaled flowers with butterflies that surround them. And you know, like, how are you going to represent that musically? Well, his choice to do it was to imagine these butterflies moving out of focus in slow motion uh while the flowers were in perfect focus almost like a a strange sort of futuristic still life like a hallucinogenic still life yeah yeah so you get rather than like what might be a little bit more on the nose uh with like beating wings and fleet more bold colors and in in sonic space uh you get a very surprising and different take than than you might ordinarily ordinarily expect and uh, create some (laughs) mental opposition to expectation, which I find really pleasing.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like a a really, uh, I guess, vivid picture to draw a piece out of. Like, I can already sort of almost imagine what a piece might sound like with that kind of imagery.
2: Yeah, and Um, he uses the saxophones quite well. So so it's for alto and tenor saxophone. mm -hmm. I was playing the alto part, Catherine was playing the tenor part. And, uh, you know, with just big, bold slaps and rips and some beautiful, like, quarter-tone melodies. Mm You know that really burn in just the right way. Um, the end of the second movement, in particular, is so there, there's a, a suspended note in the tenor that converts to a multiphonic. Mm-hmm. and then when the multiphonic comes in, the alto moves to a quarter pitch up and then resolves a quarter pitch up from there. And just you know, some of the the way that harmony works when you're playing with multiphonics and quarter tones has like this strange gravity, where things that when you're playing and practicing by yourself might seem a little you bit you
0: might not hear that hear that kind of connection.
2: Yeah, yeah, you might think it's like tense uh, like, like something that it sort of reverses up and down as far right. as consonants and dissonance goes. So something that seems dissonant when you're practicing by yourself, once I play my quarter tone in the context of this tenor saxophone multiphonic, that now is the consonant note. Yeah. And, and it's like, Ooh, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and then maybe resolving to a, you know, a normal pitch has a little bit of, you know, burn to it. So yeah. some, some really, really great, interesting writing for Rob there.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the, the other the other piece that you played was Bradley Michael's piece, which I, I talked to him about a little bit uh, earlier in the episode. Uh, he was telling me about the, the process of sort of going through the uh, cards at the beginning of the piece to sort of uh, evaluate your mental state or sort of uh, talk about his sort of ex- exploration of authenticity in composing the piece. Um, what was yeah. your experience working with that and sort of uh, putting together this duo that kind of generates itself from your input?
2: Well, uh, first it's, it's... It's always exciting to get a piece where you realize you can't really rehearse it very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when, I, when I cracked open the score, I was very excited. I thought it was a really novel idea to uh, just explore what, what it is to be, you know, the emotional state of the performer and what comes across. And one of the things I used to teach, you know, uh, my students is that the intent of what you do uh, comes across even when you fail to do it sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have this pinnacle moment, you're reaching for a, a high note or a zenith, like, but, but going for those peaks of performance, the audience experiences that sometimes, even if you listen back on the recording and you kind of missed or didn't feel like you got it, the intent comes across quite yeah. strongly, which is this sort of magical mystery, mirage aspect of live performance.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so to get to explore that in, in a more uh, explicit way in a piece of music, so I, I assume you covered in earlier parts of your interview mm-hmm. how the piece works.
0: Yeah, Brad and I talked about it quite a bit.
2: So, so I thought that was exciting when it got down to actually getting ready, the anxiety started building, you know? <laughs> like, like, what if this is all just BS, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I might have fun with it and, and Arda, uh, I'm going to try to say his last name. Uh, he taught me how to say, it. uh, mm-hmm. I
1: mean,
2: and he, he's a fantastic guy and he's, he's got yeah. like a sort of complimentary zany, fun loving, like personality. So like, um, I can't believe this guy and I overlapped in school and never got to hang out of some but, but he was great. I, yeah. I loved getting to meet and work with him. Um, so, you know, we, we had this sort of joyous fun with the piece, but the, the doubt in my mind always was, well, what's the audience going to feel? Is this just yeah. going to seem like kind of silly?
1: Um,
2: <laughs> and who knows what notes are going to come out, etc. Et but, but this thought occurred to me later is um, so there are moments in the piece where like so you draw these cards and in the moment, reacting to your emotional state in the space, you decide to sort of apply these emotions to what are only contours and rhythms written mm-hmm. for the piece, and so any pitch content or effects or dynamics or attitudes uh, are improvised. Uh, Improvise based on top on of that,
0: recording. yeah.
2: So, um, I, sometimes there was like a rhythmic set given by uh, Bradley that, you know, whether or not it went with the cards that I had, uh, mm-hmm. it, it sort of there was sort of a, a naturally implied uh, emotional state maybe like in the moment that became true yeah and and, you know it's hard not to do that right it's hard not to and so there's this interesting tension of discipline of sticking to the the predetermined emotion but also yielding to your current state and saying you know this is like what I feel right now this is what Mm -hmm. I'm going to deliver and it's what was very interesting to me about that is to realize later that this is what we do in performing all live music is we're we're improvising all the time according to what the composer has given the, the performer and and how you react to that and how you want to instigate mm-hmm. your uh, collaborator on stage or, or the audience themselves at the moment. So, you know, with, with all this like very explicit language and, and like the piece is composed around that idea, I realize this is just a natural state of composition.
0: i mean yeah, it's like really in the rest of music too. It's just really focused on in here.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a really, really interesting piece, like, you know, with something like that, when you perform it, you kind of like, you do it, and you hope. You know, you mm-hmm. hope that the audience gets something out of it, and if they do, then great. It, it succeeded. You
0: know, I I know Brad was really really happy with the performance. He, he spoke a lot about how, how really impressed and really happy with it he was. I, and when he was talking about it, he mentioned too that um, when he when he imagined the piece when he wrote it, it was uh almost more of something personal for the performers to do uh he told me that he'd be really happy with it being done in a practice room with no audience um for a group of performers to do uh sort of as an exercise with each other um almost more like practicing but, yeah. but I,
2: I, because you draw cards that are the other person's emotional state yeah so there's definitely an intimacy to it mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah that's that's really wonderful um and another, i wanted to, to close by sort of just talking about uh contemporary art music project and and um some of the things we started talking about before before we uh, started the interview but uh how, how wonderful it is to have new music in the tampa bay area as as someone who's from st petersburg who grew up there went to high school there and bradley Michael is a composer as well also from st petersburg um that area has been so important to us and there's been there's been new music coming and going throughout that that area for a long time but it's really exciting to have something like a music project bringing these big you know multi-concert projects with bringing amazing performers like yourself into our area to present this kind of music Um, what is your overall impression, I guess, of the, of the, the scene in the area, given what contemporary music project is doing?
2: Oh man, I've long been impressed by, uh, the vibe and the culture of Tampa, as far as like contemporary art and music goes, you know? Um, so being friends, becoming friends with Baljinder Seikan in about 2008 when we were in school. And then he went down to Tampa. I didn't know that much about Tampa at the time. And my sister had just matriculated in school there coincidentally. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, as I came down to visit more often, I realized, oh my gosh, there's this like contemporary music radio station and all these cats and, and, and like the, the music that Paul Reller writes, you know, whether yeah, it's Americano is... or just like <laughs> layout in space. Uh, yeah. Pretty dope. There's a
0: legacy, there's a legacy of, of his festival bonk from the late 90s and early 2000s that was really big in, in Tampa as well.
2: Yeah, and, and so Tampa's a really interesting area because I feel like so many people come there from other parts of the country. And so you end up with this uh, melting pot in a way yeah. of, of gastronomic culture, I mean, food and food and drink in Tampa is yeah. By
0: the way, Bodega—that was
2: a great recommendation. Oh
0: yes, it. yeah, that's an excellent restaurant. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah,
2: I got, I got the pork plate at Bodega. Oh,
0: delicious! It's so good.
2: It's that yeah. was
0: my that, uh, so my high school was probably is probably about ten blocks from that restaurant, so I would always go there after school to grab food.
2: <laughs> All right. well, was my first visit to St. Pete, uh, the town, as opposed to the beach, and it was great. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean there's a lot of like fantastic energy for contemporary music in Tampa, which I think might seem surprising to many. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know there's there's various towns in America, like uh I, I think who was it that was saying there there's there's a, a prominent hip hop artist that's basically declared Rally Durham, North Carolina as the next Manhattan. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so impractical for musicians to live in and make a living in, right? No,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
2: And so I, I think Tampa might be part of a sort of a, a, a groundswell of, of towns in America that become like these important musical centers, mm-hmm. but it's because of individuals like yourself and and the culture of people uh, like with Han Hitchin and uh, Bal Ginder, of course, and, and just all the um, the cascading influences and relationships that come from yeah. and art projects like these that they're able to continue. And um, as Baljinder said, it's, it's not even so much the festival itself that's exciting, but the downstream secondary tertiary effects.
0: Oh, uh, of course, yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that's a great way we can close. I mean, just looking forward to not only what Contemporary Art Music Project can do next, but also what can happen in the Tampa Bay area moving forward as far as new music and uh, having people like yourself and other musicians uh, around uh, to play awesome music. Um, I'm just
2: so glad and honored to be included. So, so thanks for talking to me. You know?
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Doug. It was really great to have Doug on to share his experience with Campground 22. I also sat down with fellow Contemporary Art Music Project podcasters Joshua Mallard and Han Hitchin. They share their impressions with the festival. So we sat down with composer Bradley Mikesell and saxophonist Doug O'Connor. Now I have with me Joshua Mallard and Han Hitchin, who host a wonderful other podcast on Contemporary Art Music Project. I'm gonna ask them in a little bit to talk just a little bit about their shows. And I'm gonna recommend that you go listen to it uh, if you haven't. Um, But I have them on because they were in attendance at the concerts and at the festival. And uh, I wanted to hear sort of audience perspective and uh, hear a little bit from my uh, fellow music journalists about uh, their experiences with the uh, concerts and the performances and the dancing. Um, So hi, Josh and Han, how are you both doing?
3: We're great, how are you
4: doing?
0: I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm 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 really excited to have you guys on on the episode. So I just wanted to quickly ask you guys um, just about your experiences with the with the performances and with the concerts. Um, if it was there any like big performances that stood out to you that you really
4: enjoyed an extra amount. Oh yeah, there were so many. That's the thing that was good with the festival, is there were so many seriously amazing pieces. There wasn't a single bad one. In particular, I really love Patrick Chan's piece. It's just like an orchestration masterclass. It, it was like super intense. And then, of course, Bradley's piece was really amazing, super unexpected ending. And I also liked um, uh, Robert McClure's piece and um, Stephen Yep. Stephen Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That piece was also amazing. That was a flute duo with ballet performance oh, wow. Um, there's like a lot of variety, two pieces with dancing also attached to the music and also the locations were really fun to be at, (laughs) a good variety. I, you know, growing
0: up in St. Petersburg, I'm really familiar with the Morian Center for Clay. Um, I haven't, I actually haven't probably even been there since I was in high school. Um, but it's a really wonderful space and I'm really excited that someone's doing new music there.
4: Yeah, Yeah, it was very active, like everything from percussion ensemble stuff with like Hillary Tan's piece. And there's also like really amazing electronic pieces. Like Nathan Nathan um Hering's yeah. violin oh, yeah. and electronics oh, thing yeah. that was, was so crazy. That's
3: one of my favorite pieces in the whole whole festival. Amazing. All, yeah, yeah, y'all learn for a treat.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, another another thing I, I wanted to ask about was actually had to do with that variety. Um, I was really impressed by the lineup of performers for uh, this festival. Um, I remember going through the website um, you know for the last few months uh, looking at what, what was going on and keeping track with the updates. And uh, the huge lineup of performers is just incredible. like uh, these these performers are people that I'm a lot of them are pretty familiar with and've seen perform. and uh, I know how incredibly well they treat the music and how uh, just, um, involved they are as performers. Uh, I think that's super important to having a, a really amazing concert series and festival. And, uh, you know, it makes me really wish I could have been there to see these performers in action. Uh, were there any like really big standout uh, performances or shows that you, you really were drawn to?
3: Um, I think the elephant in the room here might be Doug O'Connor. I mean, his performance is always awesome. There's one piece where he and um, Ben Whiting actually collaborated on a little super collider improvisation. Um, that was really really awesome. I mean, Doug was just really really like, you know, doing a lot of really really impressive stuff in that, and just also when he performed Bradley's piece, um, that was really impressive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was really lucky to have Doug on this podcast. Um, I think Doug is a really amazing and uh, just. Uh, Super, I guess, energetic and involved performer Um, uh, Mm -hmm. He puts a lot of passion and and hard work into what he's doing. And I I was I remember looking through the programs and seeing that improvisation between him and Ben Whiting and and feeling really bad that I was missing out on that because you know, I I love Ben Whiting's uh, super collider work and uh, the the live coding improvisation that I've seen him do, and I, I really would have liked to have been able to see that that duo come together because it it's um, maybe not something I would have immediately thought of in the festival, but I'm I'm so glad that it happened.
4: The duos are some of the best part. Like Doug and Catherine finally mm-hmm. teamed up on a piece, which is amazing. So two two amazing saxophonists on Robert McClure's piece, and then. I'm a flutist, so I really loved Stephen Yip's piece, which had um, Eduardo and is it Alicia, Elisha, Elijah perform oh, both flutists, mm-hmm. both really amazing, actually. And that piece also had the the ballet with it, the the dancing with it. So those those duos really stand out. Um, yeah, yeah. And then also. Jamie Jordan had a bunch of wonderful voice performances. Oh yes, just amazing. Like yeah, she's incredible. It's so like um like varied the amount of performances, and then um there's like so many others. Like every every performance was really amazing in there. Like um Cini performed quite a few pieces, and then Carol was on a lot of them. There's also some familiar faces like Kevin Von Kampen, which has been in a lot of the camp promo was mm-hmm. all over the percussion pieces and stuff um, and then we also had the McCormick percussion group like oh yeah really yeah. make a big showing oh yeah yeah I, I you know you
0: know how close the McCormick percussion group is to uh, the three of our hearts um as as mm-hmm. uh, you know you at former USF students um I think we one of the big takeaways is that this was an amazing, you know, first festival from from this from Contemporary Art Music Project. Um, I think it's something that we can really look forward to what Contemporary Art Music Project does in the future, um, both inside and outside of this festival form. You know, their their concerts can, moving forward, and um, and this this big um, amazing production that Ben and me and Alex put together. I think it's it's really incredible, and uh, they deserve a, a huge applause for the work that they've done. Um, I'm hugely impressed from everything that I've heard and the people that I've talked to, Um, and I think we have a lot to look forward to from Contemporary Art Music Project. I agree. Yeah,
2: (laughs) without a doubt, and I...
3: Y'all can't see it, but like if I were typing right now, there'd be a lot of clapping emojis everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, quickly, just before before I move on to the music, um, could you guys really quickly introduce your podcast that just direct people towards what, what you guys are up to and uh, uh, share the amazing work that you guys are doing? Because I really love your podcast. I think it's amazingly pr- produced
4: and such wonderful content. Well, we're glad it's, you know, reaching people. Um, so Lost to Time is essentially a podcast where we try to reach into history and pull out not just composers, but any instrumentalists, musicians, any artists in general whose music has been quote unquote lost to time, who haven't been given like a fair look at or whose music is very like marginalized or underrated. And these are usually people from marginalized groups as well. So we really tried to take in the idea that um, people who are doing great activity and had great success or who were doing great activity and didn't have much success in the past um, might have been kind of gatekept by their own, you know, background or beliefs and stuff. So we kind of want to bring that to the forefront and also tell people how they can start um, bringing that music to concert spaces today or just listening to it, things like that. Yeah, I, I've really, like, learned about some really
0: amazing music from, from y'all's show. Um, Like, just really amazing stuff. And and really in-depth discussion and analysis about the music, too. It's not just played, you, you know,
4: you both talk about it really knowledgeably, and it, it's really incredible. Oh, yeah, we try to get listeners interested, and then, like, you know, music nerds interested, too. Um, but it's great for us because most of the time, it's new new faces for us too. the idea of it being lost to time it makes complete sense that these are these are artists that we don't even know about initially Mm -hmm. and so it really helps us sort of like learn so much more in the process yeah Mm -hmm.
0: all right well thank you both so much um have have a safe trip back to back to state college um it's really wonderful to talk to you both and uh thank you for coming on and everyone go listen to lost to time it's such a wonderful podcast
1: Thanks, Tucker. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much to Josh and Han for sitting down to talk about their experience attending Campground 22. It's really valuable to have them as my sort of podcast correspondents to talk about the music, the performances, the dance, the electronics, all of the wonderful things that came together for Campground 22. And a quick shout out to the uh, directors of Camp uh, ben Whiting, Unmi Ko, Alex they their really, really, their hard work and efforts really paid off with this festival. and I think it was really amazing from everything that I've heard from Doug and Brad and the other composers and Josh and Han. I wanted to close this episode, being that it's been so dense with discussion and talking. um, It's kind of an information-heavy podcast. I wanted to close out the podcast by playing just two pieces that were performed on the festival. Um, These are not performances from the festival, but they are pieces that were featured. Um, The first I wanted to share was a work for cello and electronics called Singularity by the composer João Pedro Oliveira. This piece is pretty fun and uh, really, really uh, immaculate electronic sounds and blending with the cello. I played a piece of João Pedro Oliveira's on a festival just over a year ago called Heavy Metals for Bassoon and Electronics. And I can uh, state to the, the incredible amount of working together that the acoustic instruments and the electronics do over the course of Zhao's uh, pieces. They really uh, uh, fit together really well and are designed in such a way that they complement each other beautifully. So this is João Pedro Oliveira's Singularity for Cello and Electronics performed by Vid Válek. <laughs> you. <laughs> Man, isn't that a really impressive uh, showing of electronics prowess as far as organizing the electronic materials and blending them with the cello. It's a really, really fascinating and enjoyable piece. Uh, Thank you, Zhao, for letting me share that on the podcast. And to close out today's episode, I wanted to uh, share a solo violin piece by Eduardo Costa Roldan. This piece is titled Solos, and it was written for Sini Vertanen, who was performing the piece on Campground 22. This performance is the premiere recording, um, also performed by Sini. And it's a really, really wonderful work for solo violin that explores a, a wonderful variety of textures and is really beautiful. So I hope you enjoy. That was Eduardo Costa Roldan's solos performed by Sini Vertinen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Earshot. This has been a v- jam-packed episode with lots of conversations with Doug O'Connor, Bradley Mikesell, Joshua Mallard, and Han Hitchin. I hope you have got maybe gotten excited about the future of Contemporary Art Music Project and about new music in the Tampa Bay area. If you're not in the Tampa Bay area. I hope you may come to visit, maybe to listen to some music, or as uh, Doug said, enjoy the food. Thank you so much for listening.